you can't expect me to respond to your direct message if you send it to me at around like 8 p.m. And the job people is like, oh, I, I haven't thought about that. I thought they're on there all day, every day. Yes, but they have to give themselves a break. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. So the reason why I invite you to come on my podcast is you are a career coach yourself and one of the big things, at least in the first half of the year, is layoffs. A lot of professionals who are listening right now have seen the news, and there's been layoffs at a lot of big companies. I won't get into it, but some big companies in tech, big Fortune 500 companies. So there has been a lot of layoffs during the first half of 2023. However, some people who have been recently laid off, let's say April, May, and even as of this recording, the first couple of days of June, they believe that it's bad timing to get laid off right now because we're heading into the summer months. And historically, summer is tends to be the slowest hiring season. So some professionals may not have a very lucrative severance package. So they may, may need to get work immediately. However, again, as I said, summer is a slow time for job searching. So some people might just give up and say, you know what, this is just a waste of time with the summer job search. Because again, a lot of people are on holidays, there'll be less job postings. But from your experience, Cindy, you believe that there's still a lot of opportunity in the summer months for people who have the right strategies and want to take advantage of this lull time. Yes. Even though during the summer, companies may slow down their hiring process, and it's probably because of a combination of multiple things. So first of all, people are taking vacation, which they well-deserved. And we've seen a trend where organizations are offering more work-life balance for their employees. So they may work a shorter week and have their Friday off. So somehow with all of these reasons, it's actually extended the recruitment process, right? But I often say to my clients that actually summertime, it's the best time to rest, but also equip yourself and come up with a powerful job search strategy so that you can still embark on your journey. Speaking from my own personal experience, I actually have been laid off four times during my 20-year recruitment career. And I remember years ago, I actually did got layoff. It was roughly about like late spring. And it was until the beginning of September, it's when I started my first position. What I remember at the time, I didn't receive like a lucrative severance package, but it was something that in hindsight, when I look back, it, it was still a good package. And I remember the first few weeks, I really took the time to to actually spend time to take care of myself, taking vacation time with my family. And because I personally felt that you have to have a very strong mental mindset and be well-rested in order to seek clarity in, in terms of where you want to in your career direction. And when it comes to crafting your job search strategy in the summer, I often suggest to my clients that start researching about organization. Think of it as maybe there are top 10 to 20 companies that you might be interested in working with, and then start following their news, reading stories, and prepare yourself for networking. Another, another thing that I also did it for myself, it's I actually sit down before I even craft out my resume or start working on it. I actually sat down and asked myself the question, hey, what is it that I'd like and didn't like about my previous position? And it can be, okay, I like about this particular position because of A, B, and C. I enjoy working with my team and the work environment because of this and that. So I, I start writing down what I like about my previous job. And I also write down what I don't like about my previous position. And somehow that actually would provide me with a framework in identifying. It actually serves as a framework and a foundation. Give me some sort of guidance in terms of what I would be interested in looking for in, in my next role. Sorry, I was rambling. Okay, all good. You said during your 20-year career, you've been laid off four times. So in terms of that... Obviously, the, I'm assuming, what was your first reaction when you got laid off for the first time? And then as you got layoffs throughout your 20-year career, how have you became more prepared? So the layoffs aren't as impactful as the first one. Yes. 
So I remember I had my first layoff in my early 20s. And at the time, it actually came to me as a surprise. I didn't know what happened. I, I was really scared and nervous, I'll be quite frankly. And, I, and then I remember being sent home by a taxi. And essentially, the next day, I have a box filled with my personal belongings. And it, that was it. That was the time when I was working in banking and financial services. And that, that year took me actually over eight months, cl- close to a year before I found my next position. And it, it was really rough. But looking back, it, it, it's actually a blessing in disguise because uh, over that year, a lot happened. It was the same year that I actually got engaged. It was the same year where I spent the most time with my younger sister. It was the same year that she actually graduated from university. The time that I get to reunite it with my family is something that money can't buy. In addition, that was also the year where I started thinking about taking additional courses to help me accelerate my career in sorry, in in recruiting and also in team management. And then I also want to talk about my most recent layoff, which happened in my 40s. And and this time around, it actually felt very different. And the reason is because in some ways, I think I felt numb about it because I recognized that, hey, good people get layoff. Companies have to do everything in their best interest to survive their business. And I guess I came to a realization very quickly that, hey, you know what, this is just strictly business, it has nothing to do with me. And I'm not saying that, oh, because I'm so seasoned as being laid off over and over, I felt numb. But I think at this stage of my career, I have seen it how it happened, and it has nothing to do with the person. So this time around, honestly, I recovered really quickly. I did when I got the notice that I, unfortunately, it's being laid off as a result of shortage, that particular afternoon, I remember I actually took the time to be away from my work because the company was so nice to offer me like the entire week to wrap up my belongings. So I actually did say I'm going to take my time off this afternoon just to take care of myself, my emotions and everything be- before I return back to the office to tie up the loose ends. So yeah. your last layoff was in your 40s, right? And you said you're a yes. bit numb to it. And the one thing that I really want to highlight is that a layoff is not personal. It tends to have nothing to do with your performance. It could be just budget cuts or the company moves into a different direction. So let's say you're in project A and then they decide, you know what, project is not working. We're just going to scrap the team. So it's nothing to do with your Correct. performance. It's just the shift in coming direction or shift in strategy. So as you've been in your career for 20 plus years, when did that mindset shift where you realized that it was no longer personal? Because I'm assuming your first one was you took it very personally, even though people told you it wasn't. But then how long did it take for you to realize that this is just business, it's just the game? Yes. Honestly, working in human resources and as a recruiter, the industry taught me everything about layoff and termination, it has something to do with the business. And it's really interesting because I've been on the other side of the table where I have to let go an employee and an employee who is a star performer. And it has nothing to do with performance, but it's because of a business decision. We have to unfortunately let them go. So I think it, it takes years of training. But And at the same time, one thing I also want to say is because I've been on the other side of the table being laid off, I recognize that there's still a person. Like you're talking about a relationship that's ending, that, and it happens most of the time to them as a surprise. So you've got to recognize and recognize all of these emotions that might be bubbling thereafter. And that's the reason why when I am coaching my clients who have gone through a, a recent layoff, Something that I immediately recognize is, hey, just checking in how they're doing. And just like simple, normal human being, like when when someone experienced some negative news that may, may be to them as a surprise, just like a normal human being, check them how they're doing. I've even 
written some posts on LinkedIn on some tips and strategies on how to help your colleagues and maybe you have a spouse who, who might have dealt with job loss and I don't know if you want me to dive into that. Maybe oh, for sure. Know. This is an open forum, right? Feel free to share. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So I am going to, this is going to get personal, but that's okay. So yeah, I want to tell you a story then, something about me. And I remember there was this one time where I got laid off and this is in my 30s. And it was something that happened at the end of the business day at around like five o'clock. So manager called me into a room and and basically said, hey, Cindy, you've been doing an, an excellent job. Sorry, as a result of the business change, unfortunately, we have to let you go. And this was the third time, okay? So I remember I said, okay, this is definitely not a great news, but I remember asking the manager, I said, have you reconsidered reallocating me into another position based on the talents that I bring to the table? Somehow they said, no, we haven't considered that. So I said, okay, that's okay, no problem. And then I quickly turned around the table and actually offered them like feedback, put on my HR hat and offer them like an exit interview, like feedback about what I love working at the company, what I didn't like. And it's really interesting because by the end of that meeting, it didn't felt like a termination. It felt like that oh, actually both of us felt like it, it was a good move that we have to end our business relationship. And I remember packing up my bags and I, my husband actually was working in downtown at the time. So I pinged him and say, hey, hon, I was working late at the office. Can you come and pick me up? Maybe we can get a ride home together. So he said, sure, no problem. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. So as I was going downstairs to the office, I had my box with me, right? And he said, like, why do you have a box of stuff? What's going on? I said, oh, no problem. I was just cleaning up my desk. So I just popped everything in the trunk. And then I, I sat and I said, oh, I'm feeling a little bit tired. He said, okay, if I just take a nap, let's go home and then we can just call it a day. I made that decision not to break him the news that I got laid off because I recognized that he probably had a really long day and telling him about that I got laid off may not be the perfect time. And at that very moment, I was thinking, okay, this is the third time. I, I know how to handle my emotions. I know how to handle this. So I just internalized everything. But I'll tell you, Max, like the moment that we stepped into our house, as the, the moment that I dropped my box, I was like, honey, I've got some news that I need to share with you. And said, what is it? I was like, regrettably, I actually got laid off. This is my box of belongings. And we hug, and then that's the moment when the tear starts falling like mad. So the reason why I'm telling you this is even though for someone like me who have had experience laid off three times, four times, it still hurts. It's real. And even though it has nothing to do with your own performance, it's the grief. We're human beings. We all grieve when something is lost. It's very normal. And I want to take this moment to encourage our friends here, if you did recently experience layoff, I, I want to let you guys know that it's completely okay to feel how you feel. In, in fact, it doesn't matter. Like people may tell you that, oh, you know what? You Don't worry. You, you're going to find a position very soon. Yes, great. But deep down inside, if you still have some sort of like emotions, there may be days that you have self-doubt, you might be angry, you're feeling that you have lost your sense of direction, you're feeling anxiety, like all of these emotions are real. And I want you to acknowledge that because it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Every, like one of the things that I've heard or read is that as you get laid off, you're supposed to jump right back on the wagon and start job searching. Some people may want some time yes. to like grieve, right? Like take a couple of weeks off and then do it. You don't have to go right away. Do you, when you Correct. work with clients or clients reach out to you or professionals reach out to you saying, Hey, I just got laid off. What should I do? Do you have a conversation with them and say, you know what, I think you should, the best thing for you to do is do nothing. Just take a couple of weeks off and just refresh your mind. Have you actually suggested that? I did suggest that. But at the same time, I'm also mindful depending on if they have the luxury to do. Because I do have clients who come to me and say, you know what, I've got three kids. I'm a single parent. I just don't have the time to, to sit and chill and think about what I can do. 
like they don't have the luxury to do soul searching per se. And, and for these clients, I think what's most important for them is sit down with your family, take a look at your finances, and then start cutting costs that are not deemed to be necessities. That, that's what I would do. I, I remember my husband and I, we actually sit down and take a look at our finances. Okay, let's take a look uh, so that we don't have to, uh, we don't, we need to look at the expenses. Let's need to cut off some of the expenses that we don't think it's necessary because we're going to be in survival mode for a few months until something comes in, right? So I think it's important. And at the same time, I've got, I, I've got clients who have children and sometimes the kids know that something it's not going right. Like why is our parents not working? And sometimes they sense this, right? And I'm not trying to preach what you should be doing as a parent. I know some, I know as parents, we need to be very protective about our children and you don't necessarily want to drop the bomb and just drop the bad news to them. It, it can make them very anxious and feel insecure. And yeah, so it really depends. But at the end of the day, please put the oxygen mask on yourself before putting it on other people. And self-care, it's very important. In terms of you having to let people go, right? What is what do you usually do to calm them down? Because there's no polite way to say that you're no longer your services are no longer needed, right? So, what have you done from a human perspective to make, basically calm them, make sure that everything's okay and they don't like? Okay, yeah. So, I'll share with you the strategies that I've used to calm myself down when I'm on the recipient end. Okay, I think this has something. And this is something that I also study in school, clinical counseling. It's we have, we need to learn to be very aware of our emotions. And I say this because our emotions are a part of us. It's a part of us. And I have this topic about self-compassion. This is something that's very close to my heart and is something that I'm interested in. It's about acknowledging your feelings and be kind to yourself. I'll give you an example. Let's say, Max, you're my friend, and you come to me and say, hey, Cindy, you know what? I, I, just, got, I just got laid off. So as a friend, because you trust me, you came to me, I, I wouldn't necessarily start giving you like instructions or start asking you why or be this critic, right? But I will act like a friend supporting you, speak words of encouragement, words that lift up your spirits. But oftentimes what I have recognized, and this is something that I do to myself as well, is I can be very hard for myself and not talking to myself as my friend. You you may have like thoughts like self-blame, oh, probably I didn't do a good job at work. That's why I got laid off. Or, oh, probably because I'm not good enough because of XYZ and then this lead to this, right? So I think we have to nip that in the butt when whenever you notice there is some sort of like inner self-critic or negativity, you need to recognize it and you need to stop it. Secondly, you I would like to be kind to myself, just like comforting your friend. Yes, you know what? Recognize that it's business, it's not personal, but it still hurts. It hurts because I may not get to work with the people that I love on a daily basis. It really hurts because it came to me as a surprise and I didn't prepare for it. I didn't plan this. I don't know what to do. I'm anxious. And just acknowledging these feelings by accepting them, by by acknowledging them, that's already like a step ahead. So you've gotten laid off. You process all those emotions. You spoke to your, your family, friends. You're in the right mindset to start looking and to go back to the beginning of our discussion in terms of the summer job search, you did quickly highlight some strategies and tips in terms of having effective summer job search, but I do want to take this time to dive deeper into that. So with someone ready to start the job search, as of this recording, we're in June, what are some initial steps that one should take in terms of getting the getting off the ground running to start applying and start getting interviews and start getting out there? Yeah, absolutely. So Definitely, needless to say, have your resume ready. I want to acknowledge that it's not easy to write a resume. And in, on LinkedIn, we have a great community, or even on Google, you can start like 
searching for tips on how to put a resume together. And I think the biggest struggle that I hear from people is I'm hearing some says two pages, some says like three, and some say this. And so who am I going to listen to? What are these advices? My my tip for the community would be when you when you are ready to put your resume together and you think that you've done a pretty good job, do get some professional help, someone who who is an experienced professional, someone who might be a recruiter or even maybe a career coach, and get some solid piece of advice to see how you can make it better. But I'm going to also add, Max, is something, Max, this is something that you and I forever as well, right? A career coach. Most of all is a value, sorry, achievement-oriented statements or resume. Basically, you talk about what you did, how you did, and the outcome. Do we have to go into more detail about this? Oh, are we good? I, it's, it's, you're on my show. You have the expertise, right? So if you want to... Well, you tell me. Yeah, you can dive a little bit deeper if you like. And then we'll talk about like different resume formats and all that, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah we can talk about... Okay, we can talk about resume format because I noticed lately there's a hot topic going on. People are asking about, hey, are Canva resumes a good resume layout? Yeah, so I like to chime in. So I have seen comments floating up lately about people being directed to go use Canva resume templates as the template to to put together a resume. Personally, I have you know, the liberty to recruit for many companies in big shapes and small forms. I got to say Canva resume templates are actually really good templates for tech companies, startups, students who are going after internships or professionals that may have less than three years of experience or recent grads. And the reason it's because it actually speaks about the style, it fits the early career generation. Okay. And I've seen companies like Shopify, Google, startup tech companies, they actually favor the templates. However, if you know someone who've been working for close to 10 years or maybe more, Canva resume templates would not be something that I would recommend. I would recommend them to go with the traditional two, if not three page kind of aerial font size 10, like with the heading, professional experience, all of those traditional formatting. That's a unique perspective, Cindy, because usually career coaches or resume writers or whoever that wants to put their two cents in in terms of resume writing, you have some that say, oh, creative templates are great, helps you stand out compared to the mundane ones. The other ones say, recruiters really only care about your work experience. By you having a creative resume, it could be distracting to the recruiter. So there are two sides to the equation, but you're saying that it's good for these segment of professionals, but it won't work as well for these segments. So it's good that you yes. have an opinion on when's the right time to do it and not just say one or the other. Yes, it really depending on the company and the industry that you're targeting. I remember I had hiring managers specifically ask for Canva style format resumes. And if they receive the traditional ones, they pretty much just take a quick glance and seem not as interested. It's really weird, but it's out there. I think I've personally lost potential clients or professionals because my resumes are more of the traditional. I use Calibri 10 to 12 font, depending on how much experience or how much content I need to put in. And I do know for sure that I've lost some clients because they wanted something that's more Canva style, right? Compared to the traditional resumes that I write. Yeah. On the other hand, like I don't really, I would say I, I would really believe in terms of a Canva resume. I think it, it definitely works in the creative field. But again, I'm not going to change my whole business model just because a few people want creative Canva templates. It depends on, it's yes. about niching down to what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Because if I yes. was going to start creating Canva resumes, it's going to take me almost twice as long to make a resume compared to one that's traditional where it's more about focusing on the storytelling through the words, not through the design, in my opinion. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. The other issue about the Canva templates, and you can help debunk this myth, is when you apply through the ATS, they, again, there's so much talk about what the ATS is. They might think that some professionals might think that a Canva resume may be hard for the ATS to read. And then when the recruiter sees it, it's not pulling the right information. So what's your thoughts? Yeah. So my question would be, which ATS are you referring to? There's many out there, there right? There's, there's yeah, one there's thing, right? There's Yeah. 
Yes. So there's many. There's like greenhouse, like you name it. So, you know, it, it really depending on which ACS you're referring to. To the best of my knowledge, some of the, the latest ATS, they can read different format. Just to be on the safe side, if you are submitting a resume through an ATS, I would say stick with either like a PDF version or like a document and just make sure that it's clean. It's clean text, no funny colors, stay away from like tables, just make it easy for the ATS to read so that Potentially, you have a higher chance of getting passed through the gates. How about headshots? Do you recommend headshots? Again, I know that's another debate in terms of headshots. On your LinkedIn profile, yes, a professional one. Well, resume is the, the main one, right? Obviously, oh, okay, but, sorry. Yeah, yes, resume. Yeah. Yes, no. On the resume. No, I honestly, as a former recruiter, I actually would intuitively have trained my brain to review a resume no more than six seconds. And then if they do provide a LinkedIn link to their profile, I would just click on it and then go to their LinkedIn profile and just study them. I, I personally don't have a preference whether they have a headshot on a resume or not, because intuitively I've trained myself to go to social media to, to find their profile. So, That's a good point. Yeah. I'm assuming, like, I've read studies where majority of recruiters, if they like a candidate, they will look them up on LinkedIn before they reach out to them. Is that actually true? Yes. It's true. It's true. So LinkedIn, it's, I would say it's the number one sourcing tools for recruiters to find passive candidates. And as a result, back in the day when I was recruiting, I'm I'm pretty much on LinkedIn all day, every day. And it's really funny because I had a client ask me the other day, hey, how can I send a direct message to the recruiter and they don't respond to me. I'm like, hang on one second. Like, when did you send it to them? Because I can speak about my experience. If I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day at my day job, pretty much by the evening, I'm exhausted. I probably won't be on social media. So you can't expect me to respond to your direct message if you send it to me at around like 8 p.m. And the job seeker was like, oh, okay. I, I hadn't thought about that. I thought they're on there all day, every day. Yes, but they have to give themselves a break because they're, they can't be working 24-7. So funny story anyway. So how about other social media, right? Do recruiters actually look at your, try to find you on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or is, I know like some professionals, they, when they're in their job search, they privatize everything. So the recruiters can't see their personal business, but what's your thoughts? Yes. yes. When I, when I was sourcing for software developers, I remember my team and I, we have to be very creative. And we would go to different sites like GitHub, Stack Overflow, like Facebook groups, like any type of groups. We even do Google x-ray search using like keywords to find developers because most of the developers, they're not as engaged on LinkedIn platform. So I guess it really depending on what you do as a profession. From what I've seen LinkedIn is a platform where it's a really powerful tool where you find the typical corporate, sorry, I, I hate to be stereotype, but it is like typical corporate kind of put on a student tie or kind of professionals. It's where you can find on LinkedIn because major- because I think back in the day when they first created this platform, that was their target audience, right? And then it evolved over time. And it's heavy, sorry, it evolved over time. Now we have seen a new trend where it's actually a community, a platform. You see a lot of creators like you and I, entrepreneurs on, on, on the platform and encourage early careers, seasoned professionals, leverage LinkedIn because it's a really powerful networking tool. You can meet great people. You can learn a lot and if you show your personal unique value, it's actually a platform where you can get a lot of traffic and companies and recruiters are on the lookout for passive talents, leveraging LinkedIn as the tool. So we've talked about resumes, we've talked about LinkedIn and social media. How about cover letters? Another debate whether it's required or not. Oh, What's goodness. Cover letters? Should people- oh my goodness. Do people still ask for cover letters? For me? Uh, Do for they business? still exist? Yeah, they'll ask me like, hey, should the cover letter recommend it? 
in, in my personal opinion, you can argue this if you want. I always say you only got okay. one shot at making a, good, a first impression at these jobs. So if a cover letter is optional, I do recommend you write one because sometimes the cover letter can tell a story that a resume can because resumes has a strict format. Cover letter is a letter, right? So you can, in a way, put whatever you want, so to speak. So I always say yes. here's the job that you really want. As long as it's not a generic resume where you just change the name and company, I think it is a value, but you do have to put some effort into it. So I always tell professionals, if this is the job you really want and you want, you only got one shot at these jobs, I do recommend that you have a cover letter attached. That, that's, Beautiful. That's my personal take yeah. on that. But what are your Thank thoughts? Yeah, you. That's really interesting. When you applaud- yeah. Yeah, It's really interesting because when you said cover letters, I immediately associate it to the traditional, professional, boring type of cover letters with which nobody asked anymore and I and I just caught myself being very biased on this topic this is really interesting honestly the companies that I've seen who still ask for traditional cover letters are not-for-profit organization and maybe the government but I haven't quite seen other organization ask for cover letters. Pro- probably it's because the resume itself and social media, like LinkedIn profile has more weight on it. But you brought up a really good point. If the organization do ask for cover letter, it is a documentation that you can craft up a very attractive personal story just to get attention so that it, it serves as a hook to, for them to read your resume. But the most important question here, Cindy, is when you were doing recruiting, did you read cover letters or did you just went straight to resume and ignored it? No, <laughs> you didn't read the not cover really. Okay. No, not really. Unless, un- unless it, it, it's a part of the application requirement that we have to read the cover letters. Okay, but if it's otherwise, don't read it. Okay. No, just it, it's hard to read. So, we would, as recruiters, we only have to spend no more than six seconds on a resume. Like it needs to be bullet points. Boom. Where are your values? Do you have the relevant skills and experience? Check. Yes. Great. Book the time. Let's talk. Got it. Okay. So let's say a hundred people apply for the job, whether they have a cover letter or not, it doesn't really matter. Your main point focus is skimming that resume for six seconds. Yes. Okay. Yes. And if, yeah, they pa- if they pass that gate, the next gate would be LinkedIn. A little while ago, I wrote a post about the recruiter's journey on LinkedIn. So it was a post that was inspired by Jasmine, one of the, one of one of the really great content writers on LinkedIn. And his post inspired me to write something about a recruiter's journey on on LinkedIn. So how do recruiters read profiles on LinkedIn? And I speak about this based on my own personal experience and talking with Sorry, learning from all the other recruiters that I've been working with in in the past. So the layout goes like this. So our eyes, first thing first, it's your headshot. Is it professionally taken or is it like, okay, holding, like it's not professional. And then we moved on to their activity and moved on into their experience. We start looking, oh, are there any type of employment gaps? If there is, how concerning are they? What did they do in each position? How did they progress in their career? And then we moved on into education. And and then we would start digging into activity. Oh, any post or comments? Do they have anything featured? And, and if everything checked out and it looks promising, our action would be to send them a direct message. Typically, oh, I would love to speak with you about this particular opportunity or, and then followed by an engagement, like just a direct message about the role, right? So that, that's how typically recruiters review the journey on LinkedIn. Well, that's interesting to know. So if they pass the resume screening, they'll, you look at your LinkedIn cover letter is optional depending on if it's a requirement from your company. But yes, yes. Correct, correct. And in some cases, recruiters who are sourcing. So sourcing means they are constantly looking out for talents. They might be building a pipeline with an anticipation that there are positions that might open in in the future, right? So they source or it's active position. And then the recruiters are so busy, they can't source profiles and they would help the recruiters to source candidates. So when they source, 
these candidates are not actively on the market, they're passive. And we would go to LinkedIn, again, go through their profile. And, and the thing is, I'll tell you a secret. So how do recruiters and source, source profiles on LinkedIn? It's they use a combination of Blian and search strengths. The platform is called LinkedIn Recruiter. And I say this to my clients, like my coaching clients, when you are building your personal branding on LinkedIn, like the content that you put on your experience section and your entire profile needs to be recruiter friendly. Otherwise, your profile may not be found. And most people know that they need to have a personal branding on LinkedIn, but they may not know how to make it recruiter friendly. And by making it recruiter friendly, they actually would increase a higher chance of being found. And as a result, they are attracting themselves to recruiters rather than the other way around, going after jobs. You make a good discussion point, which is going to be the next question in terms of keywords, right? Because you said Boolean search, obviously that involves keywords, I'm assuming. So on the resume side, again, there's also these, I've had professionals reach out to me and say, oh, I've gotten an 85% resume optimizer score and I'm getting no response. I'm assuming you, I'm sure you've heard that type of story, right? So what is your thoughts on this idea of keyword strategy on the resume? What's actually proper and what's just trying to game the system? So are you saying that how we can use keywords to game the system? Or or so, yeah, the, the proper use of keywords. What's the proper use of keywords? Because I'm assuming as a recruiter, you have someone just stuffing keywords in the resume just to get yes. in the door. So what's the proper Yeah, use? I know. I know. So I won't recommend using keywords to game the system because that's not going to work. The recruiter can tell. You may pass through the gates of the ATS, but by the time it, it reaches, the recruiter can tell you just sprinkling a bunch of keywords on your resume. I wouldn't do that. I would recommend to when you are, let's say when you are applying for a position, one thing that I would recommend is take a close look on the job description and look at the responsibilities. Just study it. And for each of the bullet point, basically it tells you what it's expected. And I would ask, I would ask the question, okay, have you done this in the past? If you did, then make sure you include that in your resume by explaining how you did what you did and the value, like the outcome. Don't just input a bunch of keywords. Don't copy the job description on your resume. That's not going to work. How about ChatGPT? There's a lot of videos about ChatGPT in your resume. So a common one is take a bunch of job responsibilities on the job ad and then convert them to resume bullet points, right? And then they just take that and then they put it on the resume and then they just yeah. send it. So obviously yes. you've, you've seen that too, right? So what's your thoughts on ChatGPT? Yes, I've seen that too. Yeah. I've seen that too. And it's so funny. My team and I, we're actually working on a cheat sheet right now. Together, our team, we're creating a prompt to help job seekers how to prompt the right questions so that they can get guidance on writing a resume using ChatGPT. Yeah. So that's something I'm happy to share with, uh, with you and on the platform. But at the end of the day, you know what it is? I've tested myself like using these prompts to help me write my resume. And I'm not happy with the end product because it sounds like it is a cookie cutter resume. It doesn't talk about me. And it, it feels like it, it's professionally done. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not me. Like it, it's, it feels like a cookie cutter. It's a good guideline, but I would still have to end up making it like me. Like it, it should speak about me. It shouldn't be speaking about a cookie cutter recruiter or career coach, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So we spent some time discussing resume, link, LinkedIn, cover letter, just really refining your job application package. So once that's done, if someone's looking for a job in the summer, what's the next step in their summer, in their summer job search strategy? Summer job search strategy. So are you saying that how they can make best use of their summertime to plan for their job search? Is that what oh, you're saying? Execute. Yeah. So let's say they got laid off in April, May. They've gotten their resume, then cover letter. Everything's good to go. They've decided yeah. that they are going to pursue opportunities in summer and not take the time off. What would be the next step after yeah. the documents are done? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to suggest don't wait for the best time because there's no best time. Job search, it's a journey. And whenever you're... when whether you're ready or not, I would encourage people to start anyway, because it's a journey. 
as you embark on this journey, I always recommend treat it as like a project because it is. During your job search, you're going to collect a lot of information, you know, about the company, the industry, and you are also learning a lot about yourself. As you go through interviews, you may have to go back to the memory lane, try to come up with like your personal story so that you can showcase your value to the interview. As you are putting together your resume, you're digging through your memory lane, writing down what you did in the past. And hey, you know what? You've got to give yourself kudos because this is what you've com- uh, accomplished, right? And you should be proud of what you did. Whether you've got five years, 10 years, 20, 20 years, like this is who you are. This is what you accomplished. Like this is something that you, you need to be proud of. And job search process can be long. For some people, it, it can be short. For another, it can be long. And there's no need to compare yourself to another because this is your own personal journey, right? You don't know behind the scenes what kind of challenges they've gone through in their life nor do they know you. Just believe in yourself. Focus on your own unique value that you bring to the table and consistently, diligently do the right work and eventually you're going to get there. I think that I also would like to encourage job seekers. I know like our world tells us that how you define your success is it's the moment when you receive the job offer right? But I beg to say no. I think there, there is the essence of looking at processes, like small wins. I have assisted clients where they came to me with no career clarity. And within a few weeks through the coaching, they understood the unique value they bring to the table and that boosted confidence. So it's a win, right? Th- these are small successes that we should give ourselves a pat on the back and then hey you got one interview that's another win you got a call from a recruiter hey that's another win and you know what you got a rejection hey that's another win because you recognize that job's not good for you that gives you an additional information about where you can stay away from all right how about people who just decide want to take the summer off and start in the fall. What's the difference between a summer job search and the fall some what's the difference between a summer job search and the fall job search? Is there different like strategies and tactics that you have to be mindful of? Or again, like there's no really a right time. The strategies tend to apply on all seasons is whether you want to start now or not. Yeah. So I think I think the strategies it's applicable in all seasons. It's the mindset. If a job seeker is prepared to do their job search in the summer month, I think they need to have a mindset and be aware that typically during the summer season and also closer to the holiday season, it's when things slow down because of holiday season and because of people going on vacation. And I'd like them to be aware that most of most companies, they have a fiscal year ending October and then November is a new budget. So there, there is a, a spike in September when they do want to make the hire because if they don't use the budget, pretty much they lose it. January, of course, people are coming back from their holidays. That's where most activities resume. So again, you're going to see a spike in January. But that doesn't mean in December, you need to stop your job search. Like You can still continue in fact, Im- imagine this. If everyone just stopped doing their job search, but you are keeping your diligence and you stay consistent, that makes you stand out. Yeah, again, like you shouldn't compare your job search journey with someone else's. Like they might take four months, you might take six. It could be the other way around. You might take exactly. three and you're still job searching. But as you said, as long as you have all the foundational components ready, it's about putting in the time and getting your face out there, so to speak. Yes, that's right. So I want to take this conversation into more of a personal direction with you. So in regards to what you're doing now as a career coach, like how did that come about in terms of doing career coach full time? Was it because of your last layoff or were you currently working a job and you say, hey, you know what, I want to give this a shot full time. So how did that come about in terms of the career coaching aspect of your uh, sure, career, so thank to speak? Thank you. Yes. Uh, so the idea, the idea of doing career coach on a full time basis didn't happen overnight. In fact, I remember 
I had the idea of doing career coaching when I started leading projects and seeing my team and my staff grow actually brought a lot of joy. I just love watching people grow. I don't know what it is. It just gave me like this warm and fuzzy feeling in my heart when I see somebody grow. And I'll be honest, I did I, I did want to pivot into career coaching full-time, but I didn't have the courage. And then thanks to the pandemic in 2020, when the pandemic hit us, I, I guess like most people, I really sat down and myself the question like, okay, here's an opportunity. I've got some free time. What should I do? That was the moment where I started to get more involved in career coaching. And then at first it was like a friend of a friend who called and say, hey, I got laid off. Can you help me with my resume? And then I said, sure, let me take a look. And then it was like a volunteer here in church with like new grads. Oh, can you help me with my job search? And I started recognizing, hey, people are coming to me, trusting me to be part of their career journey. So I initially just started offering like free services. And I think somehow it also built my confidence because feedback that I received from them, they thought, thank you, Cindy, like you've really helped me. And it was until late last year when I got my when I got laid off from my previous company that I actually seriously sat down and thought to myself hey maybe it's time to pivot and at first it was really scary because I don't know what's going to happen I don't know if if this is something that like basically I was looking for a platform that's going to support my personal lifestyles I've got my family, I've got my school, like I basically needed like a right platform to to support my career goal as a career coach, right? Thank God, Mooney, founder of Luminary, it's somebody that I came across on LinkedIn. And as we started networking, somehow we clicked because our values are very aligned. And I had the opportunity meeting with a couple of other coaches at Luminary and I joined the team early this year. And I think one thing that I knew very clearly when I wanted to pivot into career coaching, I wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur and I wasn't ready to one foot in corporate HR and then the other foot in career coaching because I've tried that and it didn't work. And it really took a leap of faith to jump into something all in. And you have to really have the courage. And I figured I'm still carrying my fear when I took that leap, which is still okay because you're going into something new. It's okay to feel afraid because you don't know what, what's going to happen. But I can honestly tell you, I never regretted it. it. It's something that it's truly bringing me a lot of joy. I love career coaching and I'm glad that we're here today and I love meeting with other career coaches because I feel like there's so much we can learn from each other. We all have our different coaching styles and sometimes we meet different people and I just that and I just feel like together we we can be a very powerful system that can support the community together. That's a great way to wrap up our conversation. And I want to end our podcast discussion with one last question I ask all my guests. I saw my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges to help them get to the next level. And you've shared a good portion of your journey throughout your 20 years in your career, whether it's in HR or in the career coaching space that you're in now. So with that being said, what has been one big career challenge that you had to overcome? to get to where you are today? I, yes. The big one that I have to overcome, I would say it's to give up. It's to, you have to give up like something. And for me personally, it was something that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. What I have to give up, it was the stability. And I say this because working as a corporate recruiter in corporate, I can have stability. I can expect a paycheck coming in every two weeks. 
blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I recognize this stability, it's not real. It's fake. As an employee, you can always be put in a position where the company is going to say, I'm sorry, we no longer need your services. Unfortunately, we have to let you go. There's no job security. It's fake. And moving into career coaching, it's something that I have to, stability is something that I have to give up, but I actually gained a lot. I gained, like, I, I gained, there, there's so much. Like, I gained new friendships. I gained people, my network. Like, th- these are something that money can't buy. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm lacking words to speak about what they are. Because you did caught me off guard with this question. I hope you were you were able to send it to me in advance so that I can prepare for this. But I'm just on the cuff. Yeah, like, go ahead, yes, go ahead. I know. But I'm thinking, yes, the number one thing that I have to give up in, in order to pivot into career coaching, it's actually stability. And, and, and this is something that I guarded very closely. For another person, like when they have to make a decision to, to pivot into a different role, probably there's some, probably it's something else. I don't know what it is. But at the end of the day, I think human beings were all the same. When you're changing from, when you have to move to from one place to another, we all have to deal with fear and uncertainty because you're moving into a new place where you don't know what's going to happen. It's what we call the unknown future, right? However, I can say this, if you are expecting growth and if you want to have growth in your life, you need to be ready to step out of your comfort zone. I really like the fact that you said that there is no, that the job security is fake because there's yes. no control, right? Like you're always at the mercy of the employer. Sometimes you're, you, you don't know what your day is. Your day could be five years from now. Your day could be tomorrow. You have no control over that. While as an entrepreneur, yes, the income is unstable, but at the beginning, but once you start building systems and build your business over time, there's tends to be that stability because then you, you have the systems in place. So you know what's coming in and what's coming out, right? Yes, absolutely. And it, it's very much riding a bike. When you first ride a bike, you don't, you, you may not know all the gears. And honestly, we're all learning here, right? I, I don't, the entrepreneurs, the really successful entrepreneurs that I know of, I, I don't think they all know what they are doing when they decided to be an entrepreneur, but they have this vision and they know they're very passionate about something and they are all, people who are ready to make a change. They have a courage to fail and, and they fail hard. They're not afraid to make mistakes. And I think these are some of the qualities that we all need to hold close to our heart and, and to give your permission to make mistakes because mistakes, is it, it's going to be our greatest teachers. Yeah, like it's, it's not really, there's no just thing as failures. It's learning lessons along the way, right? Yes, yes. So thank you. Thanks for thanks again for coming on, Cindy. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Oh, okay. So my best way to reach out to me via LinkedIn would be a direct message. And if you put on the subject line recruiter magnet, then I will gladly know that you heard about this through the podcast with Max. Yes. Great. Again, appreciate the time, Cindy, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Okay, thank you. Okay, have a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.